Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hello and welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Marcy. Today we're talking about Madeline Lincoln's A Wrinkle in Time. It was the winner for the 1963 Newberry. Um, so it's the last book that we're talking about from 1963. We are drinking, what are we drinking, Marcy? <laughs> we're drinking a lemon thyme sidecar, which is really delicious. Um, here's just a very short synopsis from the Newberry and Caldecott Awards a Guide to the Medal and Honor Books. Meg, Charles Wallace, and next-door neighbor Calvin go into space and through time to rescue Meg's father, a scientist who disappeared while working on a secret project. The children's intergalactic search leads them to a confrontation with the forces of evil on the planet Camazots, where conformity means survival. Let's talk about the book, right? A lot of people have already read this book, and a lot of people have read it multiple times. Um, but let's do a little run-through of the plot. Yeah. Okay, so... I feel like I'm going to get long-winded here because this is one of my favorite books of all time, if not my very favorite book of all time, which I think is true for a lot of people. Like, if you say Newbery Awards, this is the one they know of. Um, But if you haven't read it, there's basically a family of very precocious people, like all of them. The parents are scientists, and the main character in this book, Meg, is a sort of gawky adolescent pre-genius <laughs> um, and she has a little brother who is a genius named Charles Wallace and they are missing their father he went AWOL essentially um, doing experiments for the government that they don't know enough about to even know whether he has died or whether he left them and it's all very up in the air and she's feeling very torn up about it but her younger brother meets three strange people. Their names are Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. What's It. And they, honestly, they kidnap the kids. Um, <laughs> they take them off on a mission to rescue the dad, along with Calvin, who goes to school with Meg. The way they take them off on this mission is to Tesser, um, which is what the title A Wrinkle in Time refers to. We have a physics lesson <laughs> brought to us by Einstein's work. Um, the idea of um, a straight line is going to be longer than if you fold or wrinkle the two ends together. And that's what it means to test her. And this is how her dad got lost, trying to do this sort of unguided and not knowing exactly what he was doing. But Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. What's It are very practiced at it and take the kids along from planet to planet as they search for their dad. But what they find is that they are also fighting sort of the forces of darkness um, in, a, in a very real and tangible way. And that is what is holding their father prisoner on a planet called Camazots where everything is so regulated and conforming that even to deviate in the matter of how you bounce a ball is punishable by some horrific, like, reprogramming agenda. Um, and we have the man with the red eyes. Who? Who ostensibly is the leader, or the figurehead for the leader, who does the discerning slash deciding who needs to be reprogrammed. And when they get to that planet... Uh, the little brother, Charles Wallace, is a little too uh, prideful and thinks that if he kind of 
goes into the mind of the man with the red eyes that he'll be able to come out whenever he wants, but that is not true. And he is uh, possessed, for lack of a better word, but is able then, while he is possessed, to take Meg and Calvin to go find uh, Meg's father. And I think this is a really important moment when that happens in the book because Charles Wallace is seen as the strong one and the one who always helps Meg sort herself out, the one who in a lot of ways keeps the family together when in the father's absence. Um, but he is unable to summon the particular kind of strength that this situation needs. And Meg is the one that has to step up and do it. Yeah, I actually really love that part because um, Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. Watson are giving gifts as they leave the children on this planet because they can't stay on the planet. And the best thing that they have to give Meg is her faults, which are stubbornness and anger and just a total lack of cooperation <laughs> with authority. And it does. It works. And that's what's needed. <laughs> so that's a synopsis without giving away the end. If the any. end. But hopefully you guys have read this before. Yeah. Multiple times. Um, it's hard to even know where to start discussing this book because it has been talked about so exhaustively, but um, it's just so good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, I don't even know how many times I've read it. Of course, I think the m most of the times that I've read it, I was smaller. Um, I didn't understand everything that was going on, but I did understand the basic story of, you know, family being ripped apart, these children going to seek the, their father, um, the evil that they're up against, and then the resolution. And so I was able to understand that part fairly easy. And to Madeline Lingle's credit, she explains tessering pretty well. Yeah, some difficult physics concepts in a very simple way. Yeah. Which is great. Even the little drawings, the little line yeah, drawings. Yeah, little line with the, the ants. ants. <laughs> which is very charming. Um I think for me, I think the one thing that I, I feel like we could talk about pretty extensively, um, maybe not, we'll see. <laughs> I know that uh, Madeline Lingle's work is often seen as having a Christian philosophy attached to it. I, unlike something like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with C.S. Lewis, I don't see a one-to-one -one in this story. I think maybe in other books of the uh, Time Quartet, maybe it's more one-to-one. -one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this book is a little more complicated to me and doesn't read as a straight-up allegory. No, I think what is charming about this is that it basically uses those precepts. Like you take the sort of the, just the Christian basis of things, and this is her building on that as a basis for story the way that somebody might take a greek myth and like not write it one-to-one -one, but just use it as an inspiration you know and they i mean they do a, a couple of times make specific references at one point they try to describe mrs who mrs witch and mrs what's it to an alien species who doesn't have sight and they they are sort of fumbling towards a description and and they think of guardian angels but it's not quite what they're talking about and they talk about the people from our planet who have been fighters against the forces of darkness, and they, they mention Jesus. But in the same breath as, like, Gandhi and, you know, Madame Curie and, and people like that, it's, it's not a didactic, super mm -hmm. Christian-y 
outlook. Well, and that's that's fine. I mean, I do enjoy something like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know very well done. Um, it's a pillar of children's literature. But um, that was something that I, reading it this time with that thought in mind, that's, I was really struck by that. That, you know, I think as time has gone on, Madeline Lingle's work has been classified as, in some ways, being religious. Mm-hmm. And it is. But it doesn't mean that it's not accessible. That's true. And when you read more of her books and more of the nonfiction, you see that she really is like skewed hard towards the Christian literature aspect. But uh, you're right, though, when you look at this book compared to Many Waters, for instance. Have you read that one? I don't know. Um, so that's the one where her twin brothers, who aren't mentioned much in this book, time travel back to essentially participate in the Noah's Ark story. I haven't read that one. So that one's interesting because it takes a, like a specific Bible story and inserts them into it mm-hmm. and uses the the concept of fallen angels and, and regular angels um, really, really specifically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this book, this book is not like that. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's totally accessible, and it bridges so many different genres and... Uh, styles I just I mean I love it it's fantasy and science fiction and just like a good adventure story it does have the religious tones but there I mean if it's something that you don't like it's so easy to ignore that I guess one thing that I really enjoy in some of my very favorite books is when you get an author who makes something completely original and it's fairly uncommon for that to actually happen like there are so many tropes out there that get overused and overused or somebody's like I'm going to rewrite this or I'm going to kind of build on that but like this is really a totally original story it's um the best correlation I can think is Neil Gaiman when he wrote Stardust like that is like a completely original fairy tale which sort of blew my mind because fairy tales are usually revisions of previous fairy tales it just is the way it works but it was completely original. And this book, especially at the time, was so completely original that it almost didn't get published. Like, they can't categorize it. But what that means as a reader is you're getting something that you haven't read before that is going in a completely different direction, and it makes it compelling. Even if it weren't written as amazingly well as it is, like, it would just be so interesting. I do agree that it's original. I don't... There is a seed to me in here of The Wizard of Oz. Oh, had not thought of that. Yeah, there's a little bit of a seed of the Wizard of Oz in there. Um, you have the girl far from home. You have, for lack of a better analogy or a better uh, line to draw, you have Charles Wallace and you have Calvin. Is Charles Wallace Toto? No, no. <laughs> I was thinking actually Calvin's Toto. Mm. Charles Wallace not it's not a one-to-one with Mm. like the wizard of oz but then you have the different you know um miss who miss what's it miss witch aunt beast you have these fantastical creatures that she meets along the way and then you have the man with the red eyes who becomes in a lot of ways the man behind the curtain that's interesting so or the wizard of oz so i'm not saying that it's not totally original I'm just saying, I feel like there's a seed in there from Oz. That is very interesting. That never occurred to me before, but it does make sense. 
Actually, that does make sense, too, because you know how in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy meets people who are sort of roughly correlated to the people at home, and then Meg has been harassed about finding a happy medium at school, and then she meets an actual person called the happy medium, things like that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. And you have the villages or the planets in this case. I mm -hmm. mean, in Wizard of Oz, you have the different parts of the land of Oz, but you have Uriel, you have, you have Igshul, and there's hint at so many other different, different lands. Um, I think the one thing that we're missing, and I may be wrong about this, is um, th the things that don't fit exact and which make it wholly original are the, the father, the quest for the father, and then, of course, there's no wicked witch. Well... There's good witch. There's not a wicked witch. I mean, there's there's an argument that it is the wicked witch. Oh, that's a good one. In the quest for the father. I mean, they are searching for the wonderful Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, everyone is influenced by what they read as a child oh, and what's, you know, what they see as a child. Um, not to detract from the originality of Wrinkle in Time at all. But it is cool to me to see a few of those threads in there. Mm -hmm. No, that's fun. Um, Meg. Yes. My favorite character. I know we'll get to Charles Wallace in a minute. I know Charles Wallace is yours. I love Charles Wallace. Meg. <laughs> Let's talk about her character. Let's talk about her evolution um, throughout the book. She yes. starts off as this rough and tumble girl. She feels bad about herself. She feels like she's not attractive like her mother is. She feels like she doesn't really have a place. She misses her father. Her father was the parent who she felt closest to. Mm -hmm. um, she gets in trouble at school all the time, and she feels like she's in competition with her own family. Her mother is this spectacularly beautiful Nobel-winning scientist which makes it difficult to be a gawky teenager who gets in trouble at school all the time. Um, yeah, she is, I think, one of the more relatable characters in kid lit in the past however long. like Over 50 years. Yeah. I mean, if you ask anybody, they're going to be like, yeah, I relate to that. Like, just not feeling adequate or not feeling like you belong. And I like that they don't, like, she's not changed that much in the course of the book. Like, she has a new sense of self-worth, maybe. But like, she doesn't get a makeover. She doesn't, you know, go through <laughs> some crazy adventure and come out. Like, you know, like in the Narnia books, for instance. Like, they no, go to another yeah. country. They, like, grow up. They become kings and queens. Like, they're beautiful and tall and, and powerful. And, like, that's that's how they that's how they end up, you know? I mean, until they come back. But... I'm just like, picturing like Mrs. Who <laughs> giving her a makeover. Darling, you should wrap the cur you should wrap the sheet we stole from someone's clothesline clockwise. <laughs> Can you imagine the makeup job they would do? <laughs> no, but like she doesn't she doesn't go through like a physical transformation. She doesn't go through like now you have all of this power and you have magical weapons or anything crazy. Like no, she just realizes that like what you have is is worthwhile, which I think is a great lesson for a kids book. In particular, a girl. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I always responded to as a kid. Like, you know, her goal is to find her father, 
to keep her family together. She learns to like things about herself that she didn't like before and turn them into strengths and figure out the flip side of the things that she has been worrying about or worrying over as horrible parts of her personality and her life. Well, she's just such a real character. And it's continued throughout the other books. Madeline Lingle kept writing. There are sequels upon sequels. Actually, no, I take that back. There are an infinity of companion books. But in each book, minor characters from other books pop up. And there are timelines to be followed. It's very interesting. Some of the books actually have like a little map in the front of who's in what and who's related to whom and how. But Meg is so real. Like There are books about her children. And it's specifically mentioned that she grows up to be successful and she marries Calvin and she has all these kids, but like she is a, a, a really successful scientist, but she has a huge number of children in part so that she doesn't feel like she's competing with her mother because her mom was a Nobel winning scientist, but she didn't do it with eight children. And so if Meg's accomplishments don't live up to her mother's, it's not because she wasn't as good of a scientist. It was because she had all these kids or at least she built in that buffer. That's a heck of a thing to, to know, put in. Like, I know. I'm going to pin my shortcomings on have you know because I had a lot of children like uh, eight kids. Like <laughs> eight, come eight on, yeah. Meg, Meg. <laughs> well, and she man, she named Polly Polyhymnia. Hmm. That's that's just oh Meg. <laughs> yeah, but I I seriously love Meg. And reading this time was. Again, it was a joy to spend time with Meg to see inside of her brain and to see how real her struggles are. I just, you know, I can't say enough about how important that was to me when I was a kid and how great it is to still see all of that stuff in there as as an adult reader. Mm -hmm. So Charles Wallace, your favorite. (laughs) Well, Charles Wallace is my favorite, and I don't even know why, except that... He is so good at accepting what he is, which is refreshing. Um, again, in Kislet, like there are not a lot of characters who are exceptional and and not stressed about it. You know, he like obviously he goes through this adventure story and he has as much at risk as anybody else, but he sort of takes what he has and what he is and works with that. And sometimes he's wrong, as we see. Um, but he accepts that too. And especially when you go through the time quartet and you see him a little bit older, I just think that he's a very um, interesting person. And Madeline Langle makes all her characters so real that I really feel like they're people instead of just characters and books. So he's somebody that I would, I would like to know. You know, he's a person that just seems like an intelligent, thoughtful person who, who would be really interesting to, to actually know in person. I love how much he knows. I almost wonder, and this is a thought that hadn't occurred to me before until, until this current read through, I must wonder if he is more of a vessel than just a child or just a person. And he has maybe time travel back and forth from that figure does that make any sense? It does. There's just so many things he knows that there's no practical way that he would know them. Have you read A Swiftly Tilting Planet? 
I don't think so. Okay. See, I kind of, I think I read Wrinkle in Time and then just stopped. And I read like... The like, Austin books? Yeah. The Austin books are awesome. But in the Time Quartet, there's a book called um, A Swiftly Tilting Planet in which Charles Wallace is the main character. And time travels with a unicorn into and out of actual people like... Um, is he a warg? <laughs> what is, what's that show uh, where the Game guy... Game of Thrones? No, the guy time travels into people to change quantum things. Quantum Leap? Yes. It's, <laughs> it's very Quantum Leap, right? He, he, so basically... But with a unicorn. But with a, So the unicorn is sort of his guide, so like his Sam. People Can people see the unicorn? Sometimes. What do you mean sometimes? It is a matter of where they are in their level of civilization, whether they can see a unicorn or not. So like if they're in a time period where there are unicorns... Yeah. Or people accept that unicorns are real. Yes. Then they can see them. Okay. But most of the time, no. But okay. <laughs> so Charles Wallace's consciousness is essentially in these other people at different periods of time trying to avert a specific catastrophe. Okay. Which is basically like nuclear war, threatening mm-hmm. Meg um, and her family when, um, to, to put it in the timeline of the stories, Meg is married to Calvin, expecting their first baby, and they're all together for Christmas with Calvin's mother, who is actually uh, one of the main characters in her younger iteration when Charles Wallace travels back. Okay. It's very interesting. So the O'Keefe's. Yes. So are the O'Keefe's and um, the Murrays are tied before even Calvin shows up in A Wrinkle in Time? No. It's basically there is a risk of nuclear war and the particular South American dictator who is who's the threatening person is tied to the O'Keefe family in a weird way. But when you go back, um, because the O'Keefe's came over from Wales, but there was a colony from Wales that went to Argentina and that became the South American country that the dictator is of. Okay. Okay. But it's such an interesting story and he and it's not even all like chronological like he skips back and forth to like prehistory almost and then modern times and sort of colonial times and it's it's awesome. Wow. <laughs> but in in a way so like does the unicorn different wear different outfits? No, his name is Gaudier. But he, Charles Wallace wears different outfits. Charles Wallace is always himself, but like when he is in the other people, he is like in their in okay. their body. So he wears their their skin and yes. different outfits. Yes. I don't know. I really want to see a unicorn and a tricorn hat. A tricorn <laughs> hat. Is it tricorn or trihorn? It's tricorn. Tricorn. And a tricorn hat. He wears a hammock at one point. <laughs> I'm sorry. Who wears a hammock? Both of them. Well, so okay. The forces of evil that are in A Wrinkle in Time are sort of like demons of the air, kind of. Mm-hmm. And they, when the horse, when the unicorn is time traveling, he's flying, right? And they try to blow him off course. And so at one point to avoid this, when they're taking a particularly risky maneuver, they take the hammock from out in the, in the field near the Murray's house, as in A Wrinkle in Time, take that hammock and tie themselves together. But they get blown into an ice age, and that's really unfortunate. Oh, I mean, this used as rope. Yeah. Okay, I thought they were like, <laughs> I will wear this rope hammock upon my body, <laughs> and no one will notice it's not clothes. <laughs> no. 
but which it's, is it's, a funny visual. Yeah, <laughs> but it's interesting because there are some there are some constants because they can travel in time and or space, you know. So they end up a lot at the star watching rock from A Wrinkle in Time, um, out in the the Murray's back forty, as it were, mm-hmm. um, and they stay a lot in that location. And it's interesting to see, like, there was a Native American tribe that lived in that same spot, and there was a lake where there's now a valley in A Wrinkle in Time. And that is the scene of um, a lot of the time travel in the book about Polly O'Keefe, Meg's daughter, later on, in An Acceptable Time. It's a little bit bananas, and she makes this incredible web of characters, and Mm -hmm. there are a lot less fantastical elements, like the Austin books that you read more of. That is less science fiction-y and more real life. But there are still characters that bridge those gaps mm. in between the two books. So it's all one world. Um, gosh, and there are so many other books that she's written, too, that get integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all so different. I love her. I love yes. Madeline Langle so much. Yeah, we, we share that. <laughs> so anything you dislike about Wrinkle in Time? Hmm. You know, at this point, not really. I mean, I've read it at least once a year for as long as I can remember, and I can't I can't think of anything I actively dislike about it. It's not in the writing. It's more in the character himself. I don't like the father. Mm. I feel like he's kind of a floppy noodle of a person. <laughs> you know, like, I understand that he was doing important work, but... To put himself in that kind of peril and to be taken away from his family. And then once he's out, he just seems kind of not really helpful. Well, I think that's done intentionally, though, to show that Meg has to be the one that steps up and that nobody's going to come in and take care of things for you. Yeah, but I get that. I just feel like there's not much to him. Um other than what we know, other than the attachment we know Meg and Charles, Charles Wallace and the rest of the family have to him, and that he, and that he was, you know, trying to push the boundaries, I just, I don't know. I just, I have always felt like he was kind of, he was a very Mary Sue character. Mm. Not you know, that he needs to, there needs to be more to him, I guess. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I don't find him very compelling, and I might just leave him on Camazaz. <laughs> I find him compelling in the back, the back story, like when he's teaching her math or like the way he's raising them and the kind of, of father that he is, that's compelling. But you're, you're right that in the events in that, the events happening in the story, in the plot, He's made poor choices, and he can't get himself out of them. Mm-hmm. But again, like for me, that works for the story because it just forces Meg to step up and realize that she sometimes has to deal with things herself. And he, so he's more of a catalyst than mm-hmm. any, than a character to me. And with so many well thought out, well like fleshed out characters, he just is a very weak point to me. Also, in this book, the mom. Mm, yeah. Like I don't. I feel like if you have a child who's basically just sitting there who feels so inferior to you and is seething and is having a hard time in life, I feel like, wouldn't you notice that? Well, I think that she does notice. I think that like, right, so we are both the mom of toddlers and sometimes there is nothing you can do to make that shit stop. <laughs> you just like, you cannot <laughs> tone it down. You just have to let it like play out. And I think 
from the way that she's talking to Meg about her problems earlier on in the book, I think the mom realizes that like there's, I mean, she is jealous of her mom because of looks and intellect. And like, there is seriously nothing you can do about that with what a 12 year old. But I feel like her mom could say, Hey, like I'm 40. (laughs) Well, it sounds to me like they've had those kinds of conversations. Also, She could share like, I don't feel great about, this part of my life or this part of my being, you know, just like, I feel like she could be a little more open with Meg and it would go a long way. I mean, not, not like denigrating herself, but I feel like she could just be like, Hey, you know, I don't feel great about, about this, you Mm -hmm. know, and just being like honest with Meg about it because there's a mythology that Meg has built up around her mother that needs to be, broken down a bit well they talk about that a little bit like yeah where where charles is like you know uh, mother's not pretty she's beautiful so i'm sure that she was awful at your age and like the mom is like yeah that's true but that's a little that's her younger brother like forcing that conversation and to me with so much honesty and so much realism in that story maybe it's realistic that the mom wouldn't open up but i feel like for me if i knew my child was like completely did not like anything about themselves. I would say like, Hey, I went through this. There are still things that I feel like I have to work on. You never know what someone's thinking about themselves or their own circumstances. I don't disagree, but I guess based on the way that they speak to each other in the book, I kind of had assumed that they had ongoing conversations like that. And Meg is just so stubborn and so self deprecating that she just like can't even mm-hmm. internalize that just because of the way that she is. Mm-hmm. So that was my take on it. And that that may be the case. I think an argument can be made that if it's not in this book or not alluded to directly, then we can't, as readers, we can't assume that it's taken place. That's true. I guess the problem for me is that they are such people to me that I like mm-hmm. extrapolate their personalities based on what's here. Mm-hmm. So... Also, probably what I've read in other books because there's more about the family dynamic. Yeah. And I may not be separating it properly into which happened in which book. I also think for when I read it, it was a great lesson for me to learn that I cannot feel great about myself um, going through puberty or about to go through puberty or even as an adult but there are those around me that depend on me and don't see my flaws in as harsh of a light. And so it's okay to lay off myself a little bit, you know? And I think that that Meg is a wonderful role model in that way. Like, she clearly comes through and steps up and, and succeeds in the book. But in addition to that, just in life, like, she is the main character of this book, her main interests are math and her family. She doesn't feel valuable, but she, like she's obviously valued. And then like even her love interest in the book, who turns out to be someone like a successful, popular boy at her school. It's not like a teen movie where like all of a sudden the popular boy likes you and everything works out. It just highlights the fact that he doesn't feel good about himself. And he desperately wants the things that she already has, like a loving family you know, and he feels different and ostracized too. Like, I think these are all super valuable lessons and ways in which the characters are wonderful role models. 
for people reading, grown-up or child. Do you have a read-alike? Um, my read-alikes would be anything else that she's written. And then a non-Madeline Lingle read-alike would be When You Reach Me by Rebecca Stead, which is also a Newbery winner, also amazing. And it reads like a completely normal, realistic book about life um, for a pre-adolescent girl in New York in the mid-60s. Well, actually, probably early 70s by then. Um, but then it turns out to have some really interesting and not entirely realistic elements. Or maybe just science fiction-y elements. But an awesome read and a really good pairing since the main character in that book is, is obsessed with A Wrinkle in Time herself. How about you? Um, my read-alike is uh, Zara the Windseeker by Nettie Okorafor. Um, I believe at the time this was published, she was going under Nettie Okoraforum Mambachu. So Zahara is a young girl who is um, has these things called Dada Locks, which are like vines growing out of her head, and it means that she's part of um, she's part of a particular people group um, that her that her town um, that her kingdom, the Oni Kingdom, find alarming okay so this is about her discovering how her differences are actually something that are strengths just like Meg and she goes on this huge adventure um, this book is beautiful it's gorgeous it's got amazing imagery it's got great characters um, and if you like reading um, characters like Meg Murray this is a great book to to jump to I don't know that one mm -hmm. I want to read it now it's really really good so um you may got you guys may know uh Nettie Okorafor from Akata Witch and the sequel oh yes um but this is one of her earlier books it's from 2005 um and it's just it's I can't say enough good things about it a lot of world building just like Wrinkle in Time I love that. I have to say that I've noticed in a lot of my very favorite books, like the world building is a huge part of it, like mm -hmm. even more than the characterization. Obviously, it's good when they're both great, but the, the really immersive world building is key for me. Mm -hmm. And this is incredible. And it's just the descriptions alone are worth reading. Even if you're not into adventure tales, I don't know what's wrong with you, but um, <laughs> it's just it's the sense of purpose she gets, the strength, the confidence um, along with all the imagery that's just so fully explored is just, it's a beautiful book. Okay, our drink. Yeah, what do you think about the drink? What's it called again? Oh, it's a lemon thyme sidecar, and it is made with, um, it's made with cognac, a little bit of triple sec, um, some lemon juice, and some thyme-infused uh, simple syrup. What do you think? Um, so I think it tastes the way vinyl smells. Oh my it God. took me a minute to like <laughs> figure out exactly what was going on. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> it sounds bad. Well, sometimes <laughs> when I say like something tastes the way something else smells that's, and that something is not edible, I just mean maybe I thought about eating that thing, but there was no <laughs> way to ever ingest it. Like you can't eat a record. I mean, you could, record, but you but... could suck on it for a while. But I don't think it would taste the way that this does. 
it's really enjoyable. It's very citrusy. It has a little bit of bitterness in it. Um, but it's really smooth and it's, it's just, I really enjoy this after a string of kind of questionable cocktails. This is a clear winner. (laughs) Yeah, this is delicious. Um, I love it. I love things with citrus in them. I like things that are a little bitter. Um, I like them to be a little bit complex. And if they have that botanical tinge, like this has time that I infuse in sugar syrup and really let sit for a while. So maybe that's the smell that you're getting, but I, no, it doesn't smell like vinyl. It just tastes the way vinyl smells. Okay. All right. I feel (laughs) you. I'm with you, Cheech. (laughs) So I'm a big fan. Um, We'll post the recipe in the show notes. Strongly recommend this one. This and the book. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's nothing much else to say. (laughs) So um, It's hard not to just sit here and gush for a couple hours about how much we love the book and the author, but. We could. I don't know if anyone would want to (laughs) listen. Probably not. So. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Newberry Tart Podcast. We talked about Madeline Lingle's amazing, wonderful, perfect 1963 Newberry Medal winning book, A Wrinkle in Time. Yes. So also, in case you haven't um, noticed, we love A Wrinkle in Time so much that we've recorded several uh, companion episodes to it. Um, we interviewed Allison of Ask a Manager, which is an amazing blog, which you should check out if you don't know about it, and posed questions to her as if they were employment questions, but they're all related to A Wrinkle in Time. Um, we also interviewed Charlotte Jones Voikless, who is the granddaughter of Madeline Engel, and co-authored a book with her sister, Lena Roy, about Madeline's life. And we interviewed Hope Larson, who's the artist of the adaptation of Wrinkle in Time. The graphic novel. Yeah. The graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you should, so you should check those out if you haven't already. Please rate and review us on whichever platform you're listening to us. It helps others find the podcast and helps us keep the podcast going. See you next time. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com. <laughs>